Magic the Gathering is a difficult game, made even more so by the fact that you can talk to a longtime player and still walk away having no idea what they said. We're here to keep you up to date on Magic news and format changes just like your favorite FNM and boss would. Except you don't have to smile and nod when they talk about Bolting the Bird. I'm Kyle, a tournament grinder and general modern enthusiast. I'm Anthony, a tournament grinder, FNM and boss, and lover of standard in spite of how much it loves to hurt me. And, and we're, we're the, the Goblin, Goblin Trash Masters. Welcome to another episode of the Goblin Trash Masters. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Anthony. Say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. <laughs> All right, so we got um, a few topics to talk about, uh, two uh, in total. Um, one will be just kind of like an intro topic, something that Anthony and I wanted to at least discuss in you know minor detail. Uh, I think it's pretty relevant right now. Uh, and then we'll move on to our main move on to our main topic. Um, but the the one we wanted to discuss and we think is very relevant at the moment is just the state of the RCQ system for competitive play, specifically mm-hmm. with you know this being we're we're still in season two, we're going into season three. We've already had a regional championship, um, and you know competitive play is back. Everybody's excited, you know us included. We were very you know excited when we found out we were going to be able to, you know, go to tournaments with actual stakes, you know, go to championships, have a possibility of going on the pro tour. The -hmm. fact that the pro tour is back makes me very, very happy, but there are things that need to change. And I don't think it's like super like bad where it's just like, Oh my God, the sky is falling, but Mm -mm. they need to, you know, get their shit together in a sense. And this is the one, one critique I have for, you know, wizards of the coast or just like any time they do events or, you know, with the PPTQ stuff or now with the RCQ stuff where you're a multi-billion dollar company, this should be easy. Like you really don't have to do a ton of work for it. And at least from what I've heard, specifically in the regional championship that the the dream hack who's running it here in the States, they've heard the community at least, or, or they're inclined to listen and they're trying to do everything they can to change it, which I think is good, but it's more of like a, I'll believe it when I see it type thing. And you know, your actions speak louder. Sure. We've all been burned before. Oh yeah. A hundred percent, especially with competitive magic and events like this. So uh, I think it might help just to kind of go over what even is the RCQ system. I think it's important to know that RCQ uh, stands for a regional championship qualifier. Those are events that are hosted at the local game store level. They can either provide one or two slots, depending on how many that store wants to host during that season. And they can be any format, but these are just small events, usually between four (laughs) and 200 players that the top one or two spots get an invite to the RC or regional championship. The regional championship, at least here in the U.S., if you do well enough, qualifies you for the next season's regional championship, as well as the ability to qualify you for the pro tour and the world championship so i like that they've really done a nice job of clearly stratifying what what this qualifies you for and how to get to the pro tour from your fnm now this is a market improvement (laughs) over the p oh yeah yeah over that pptq ptq system First of all, too many repeating letters. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, Second of all, the PPTQ system, I felt like generated pretty large PPTQs that would then qualify you for a regional PTQ that could qualify you for the Pro Tour. And I mean, it seems like the two setups are 
pretty similar. The main difference is that the PPTQ system, there were a lot fewer ways to get invites, and I felt like it was communicated a lot less clearly what was going on. Uh, did you get a chance to play it during a lot of the PPTQ system, Kyle? Uh, I didn't get a chance to play. Uh, um, I knew about it, you know, pretty much everyone we've hung out with in the magic community. Like I, I was, I was a little late to the party for like actually playing competitive magic. You know, once I did it, I kind of just went, you know, head first into it all, but I was just playing, like I've played magic since like 2002, 2003, but it's always been casual. And then I moved here in 2018, um, I met you. Uh, and you just decided like, Hey, it's a cool community. It's a cool competitive thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. But uh, I wasn't lucky enough to play in that shit show of an era, but y'all, y'all told me all about it. And it seemed awful because like nobody knew what the hell things were or if they qualified or if they didn't, or like what they needed to, to do to qualify. It wasn't explicitly, said you know mapped out there wasn't like an actual structure and they kept changing it like every couple months or like a year would go by like oh we're doing it different now and everybody's like please leave it alone yeah <laughs> it moved around an awful lot but i think for the vast majority of people who play in the system the rcq is as far as they're gonna get i think and that's oh, and yeah. that's fine mm -hmm. but i think that for the most part it's important to make sure that those RCQs can stand alone and be a decent event. That is, That has to be something that's good enough by itself. And I think these PPTQs didn't do a great job of that because they were, at the end of the day, they were run by Wizards of the Coast, whereas these yeah. RCQs are being handled by DreamHack, which in my mind, is really nice. I actually really like how they're handling that RCQ system. I have like two points of contention with the RCQ system. <laughs> and I think <laughs> you and I are probably going to be on the same page about at least one of them. So if you have like mm -hmm. a criticism about the RCQ system. My number one, well, honestly, it's 1A and 1B, I feel, where the first thing is, why the fuck do LGSs have to pay? You don't need to do it, Wizards. You don't need to have LGSs pay to just run an event that qualifies them for something that they're not affiliated with. And if they don't have to pay for that, which leads into my next point, was there has to be a judge. Yes. There are way too many RCQs that just, oh, the store owner, or just, oh, Ted, he'll be the quote-unquote judge. And a lot of LGSs just can't afford a judge, don't know a judge. And instead of having, you know, the LGSs just pay a fee just to, to host an event that may or may not do well, free them up to be able to hire judging staff. My biggest point is that there just needs to be judges at these events because there's a lot of really good players that come to them, at least in our area. I don't know in other areas, but I've heard the same sentiment um, for a lot of, you know, bigger areas or, you know, just at least like areas in the U.S. here that have a big, you know, competitive magic scene where just, oh, yeah, there's like 50 people here and they don't have a judge. And it's yeah. just like. You need a judge like because a lot of these people want to qualify and they want to go to wherever, you know, the RC is. They want to do this. It's and it's not like, you know, norm other uh, pros in, you know, esports or other games where they're getting a plane ticket. They're getting the, the whole treatment, all that stuff. It's like, no, we're basically just doing this for the love of the game. Mm -hmm. We want to do this because we want to because we like it. We love playing magic and we want to be competitive. Wizards isn't shelling out boatloads of money to have pros and better players come to, to these events. They're just like, you want to play? Cool. If not, it's not the end of the world. And I mean, that's just for me. Like, because mm -hmm. the past event, I wasn't able to go to, I was sick, but it, it was another situation where a lot of our friends went, no judge. And there were a bunch of judge calls that were a little sketchy, a little weird. Charitably, we could call them sketchy. Yes. Yeah, where it's just, you know, an opponent says something to the judge and they're like, oh, no, I'll change my ruling. It's like, OK, what the hell's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, 
And I don't want that in events like this. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think for me, is the number one negative is not requiring judges. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's related to the issues with the DCI in the past. And there was the judges are contractors, judges are employees issues. I understand that. But not having judges on staff violates my main concern about each of those events being able to stand alone as a good and worthwhile event by itself. Without having a judge on staff, I feel like you run into this situation where you can create a bunch of really negative experiences. Oh, yeah. Now, I do disagree with you on that point about not having stores pay for them. Okay. I think stores should pay for them. And I think that's very specifically important because what I don't like is I do not like clubhouse stores hosting these events. I don't like small stores in the middle of nowhere hosting an event that they do not know how to host, that they can't realistically do, that they can't afford a a judge. And this isn't to say that all small stores can't run these events. Not at all. I've seen small stores do a great job with these. My concern is specifically with the clubhouse store archetype the store that's almost not open to the public where the customers and staff are basically the same group of people and the general experience level of people running the events is on average lower these are the stores that are both the most in need of an experienced judge and the least likely to actually hire a judge for the event because they've never needed one before most players can recognize a clubhouse store the second they walk in because it feels like you interrupted someone's game night not like you walked into a retail space I feel like one of the great ways to kind of weed those sort of places out is by putting a $50 tag on. The players are getting that $50 back, right? The players are getting that $50 back from the main event, and they're getting that back from your really cool, like, RCQ winner pin kit, which is just gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, they they did a really good job on those. I've I've enjoyed them. And I kind of like that financial hurdle because... I'm worried that without something like that, there's really no reason for a store to not just take every qualification they can get for free and just kind of host sham, like host a sham event in in event link in the companion app and then say, okay, well, this regular gets the invite. I like that when you put a dollar amount on it, there's it, it's taken a bit more seriously. Oh my God, Kyle, is this what they mean when they say that I'd get more conservative as I got older? No, but it's funny that you bring that up. (laughs) See, I always imagined when they said that I would get more conservative as I got older, that just meant that I put enough red sources in the deck to actually cast the Kiki Jiki. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're playing Kiki Jiki, you never put enough red sources in your deck to cast it because if you're casting Kiki Jiki, you're fucked. Something has gone horribly wrong. Something's gone horribly wrong. But I think with our, our our points we're making, I think we can marry them where you have the financial aspect of it, but you put that like fine print in there where you just go, you pay this amount to have to host the RCQ with this invite. And if you're a premium store, you can have like a two invite, a two slot RCQ type thing, but just make it explicitly clear that you pay for it and judges are included and you are required to have a judge, like an actual judge, not like, oh, hey, this guy knows magic really well. Like a judge voucher system. Yeah. I am getting more conservative. I'm talking positively about a voucher system, Kyle. (laughs) I know. And it's it's only in the frame of magic. (laughs) No, I think that I think that that's actually really that's really cool. I think it's really nice to like potentially just have them pay and have that payment include a judge and that judge can get reimbursed by DreamHack or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That requires somebody to to be there. Like you need to pay for a judge. And I just think that it creates not having a judge at these events. A, if you are a store and you are hosting one of these events, for the love of God, hire a judge. Hire a judge. Don't. Even if it, even if your event goes perfectly, people are still talking about it. It looks very mm-hmm. sketchy. It looks extremely sketchy for the only person who's making rulings is 
an unaccredited, didn't graduate the the Judge Academy program, person that works in your store, even if you do everything perfectly, people are still going to assume that you helped out your regulars. Yeah, 100%. And that's where like a lot of the sketchy stories come from, from all these RCQs, where you, you think that just somebody's helping out the regulars, like helping out the local players and not really being fair. Yeah, and that's like... That's one of my that's a, that's that's an issue. Like whether that's happening or not is obviously on a case by case basis. But you're yeah. if you if you choose not to hire a judge, you're never going to get the stink of that off of you. And I guess that leads me into my next thing where at the RC in Atlanta for DreamHack in the states. So there was like close to 300 players I think for the championship or like, you know, 200 and change. It was good. It was a good turnout. There was a good turnout. It was a lot of players. It was great. They had five judges. That's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I mean, like, luckily the judges the judges did very well. Oh, they were so excellent. But five for two hundred plus players that that's just a nightmare for players and judges alike. Like, just hire a couple more. Like, goddamn. <laughs> um. So from my interactions with the judge staff from Atlanta, I did not attend Atlanta. This is just entirely online stuff. I believe that they basically accepted whoever applied unless there was a gross extreme reason why they should not they definitely struggled to get people applying for the judge position in that and i think that's something that we kind of expect to happen post uh post lockdown right yeah we expect a generation of judges to kind of age out and just Mm -hmm. decide they don't want to do it anymore some judges left because of the, you know, two year stretch where they couldn't judge. And then the next generation of judges is going to be two years behind where they should be. Fair. Yeah. There's going to be a bit of a gap there. But fortunately, mm-hmm. the judge staff at that RC, everything I have heard, all the interactions I've, inter- I've, I've heard about, my God, they were on it. They were so good. Yeah. I've only heard good things mm-hmm. about it. And there was like a couple you know, marked card issues and weird judge calls. There was actually two disqualifications that happened. And from every iteration of those stories that I've heard from people that went to Atlanta, the judging staff did a great job handling those tough situations. Yeah, they were fair. They were reasonable. I think that they, I think that they did a great job. I don't Mm -hmm. think that 50 uh, 50 players per one judge is is a very sustainable ratio, right? Yeah. But it's not that far off. I think if they just had like two more, it would have been like what I was comfortable with. Because I I feel like if you are just judging, being 40 players to one judge is pretty reasonable. But they also handled some of the TO stuff as well. So if they could have gotten like one more judge and one dedicated like scorekeeper, that probably mm. would have been, that probably would have made their lives a little easier. Yeah, I think the TOs at DreamHack, like they, they learned a lot from this event and you know they were they seemed like they they were susceptible to getting better and changing things which is good because you know dreamhack mainly did esports stuff and it's Mm -hmm. a lot different than tabletop card game things and you know they even learned they they were learning real time they were making changes in real time and adjusting from day one to day two and i think that's for the best and i'm 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 excited about it. I'm excited about the next RC that's going to happen. I got my flight booked. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a hell of a time in California, which will be fun. Like if, if I qualified last season, I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'll go to Atlanta. But now I'm like, I want to qualify because hell, I like California. It's fun. <laughs> I'm a slut for aquariums too. Oh yeah. There's so much fun. The San Diego's got like a really nice aquarium, I hear. So like, I've already booked my flight for like I'm getting there like a couple days early. You can just go to the beach and just like see the wildlife. I'm not an outside cat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh just a little summary on how we feel the RCQ and the RCs are going. Yeah, my general verdict on on the RCs is like I think they're I think they're solidly an eight out of ten for me right now. Yeah, I'd I'd feel the same way, and I'm glad like the actual championships are doing very good and looking to get better. And we know the RCQs will will get better if more people like vocalize how they're feeling. But yeah, any uh any closing thoughts on on this and tournaments that are happening or just the the state of 
pro play, anything like that? I think competitive plays in a good spot. I really do. I think it's in a good spot and I think it's poised to get better. And I think the popularity of this system and how many people are participating in these events bode well for the future of competitive play, at least in the short term before they like inexplicably change something. Then again, (laughs) this being run by DreamHack and not Wizards gives me some hope. Yeah, I'm actually optimistic and I don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? I'm excited. And, you know, I think with COVID for the past couple of years and, you know, us abruptly just stopping, you know, the tournament grind, playing events, just like the fact that it was taken away from us made us want it even more. And I think made it even more important. And I'm glad they brought it back. I didn't think they have to wait, you know, over a year to really get back to us about like, oh, don't worry, there's going to be pro play. It's like, all right, but I'm very optimistic about it. I think it's only going to get better. I'm glad DreamHack is, you know, in charge of the championships. And I'm excited to see what the first Pro Tour back will look like. And, you know, I'll be in this chair watching it on Twitch and being very, very excited to see just like high level professional magic. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. The coverage. One last thing. The coverage for the RC was so good. It was un- I-, I missed it so much. That coverage was outstanding. Oh my gosh. We got coverage. I'm so happy about it because there has been none for so long and I'm sad. I love watching coverage. I love watching live events. I love magic coverage for big tournaments like this. And this makes me even more excited for the Pro Tour when they actually, you know, just don't be cheap wizards. Bring it back to like, you know, 2018 and 19 with those mythic championships that look so good. Do that. Do more of that. I hope DreamHack just keeps going and doing their thing because they're they're killing it. That coverage was so that coverage was so good. And I have more confidence in it now because it's just not being touched by Watsi. All right. And now we're going to go into our main topic for the episode. Uh, so we kind of talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but wanted to, you know, kind of save it for a, its own episode because I feel like Anthony and I really wanted to get into it and, you know, get into the weeds with it. And I'm I'm a big believer in this. Uh, we're going to talk about the art of bluffing and bluffing could be a lot in magic. It could just be something, you know, you know, you actually bluffing that you have something, you know, your poker face, um, what have you, or like uh, just how you present yourself, your body language, you know, how you're holding your cards, how you're playing your cards. But um, yeah, we're going to go over like different types of bluffing, how you should bluff, uh, when you should and shouldn't bluff. I think that's a a big thing we should discuss of just sometimes it's, it's kind of bad to bluff because you may think you're bluffing, but your opponents just sees through all your BS. But um. Yeah, uh, I I know I know Anthony is a a big proponent of this because you like playing in real life more than you like playing online because you can look somebody in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I love the social aspect of the game. I love that interpersonal stuff. I think it's a really undervalued way of figuring out what's going on, getting reads on what your opponent's doing, and trying to kind of see where your opponent's at and play one level above them like that's your goal is to play exactly one level above your opponent imagine you're playing against an opponent and they tap some lands like they're going to cast something and then and then look at your look at you untap the lands ask how many cards do you have in hand and then you say three and they you know pass the turn or do something else that they clearly weren't going to do originally they think that you're you might have interaction for them, right? Mm-hmm. Might be right at that point to bluff that interaction. So if you had to like define it, I imagine you could do a better job than I just did, but how would you <laughs> define bluffing in general? So I think the easiest way to define it would just be presentation. Just how you present yourself while you play a game of magic goes a long way. Because the one thing that terrifies magic players the most is the unknown. If they don't know what's happening, they're just like, fuck, it could be anything. Like, I don't know. And then, you know, you get nervous and you misplay. And I think just the best thing for bluffing is just how you present yourself and how calm you are. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the best thing to do when you're playing like IRL events is just, if you're completely calm and just 
not like quiet or stoic, just like, okay, yes. There's no like crack in your voice. There's no shuddering. There's no just like, oh no, like excitement, you know, dread. It's just, yeah, cool. Go ahead. That's fine. I'm going to do this. Hmm. Go to your turn. Things like that. Your opponent's like, what the fuck is in your hand? I have no idea what's happening. I can't read this person. Like what is going on? Like, (laughs) okay. So, uh, so for you, a lot of what's going on is trying to minimize transfer of information from you to your opponent, right? You're Mm -hmm. trying to give them as little to work with as possible. Um, That's so funny. I do the exact opposite. No, I know you do the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm pretty congenial at a table, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Uh, but realistically, I just like I, I flood the zone. There's, there, <laughs> like, I'm not withholding. I'm not hiding information. Like, I'm not showing my opponents what's in my hands. But I am keeping a dialogue going, and I'm keeping things. I keep things moving. And it makes it so much more difficult for your opponent to get a read on you if you are just very excitedly talking to them about the cool card they just played. Yeah, kind of like the, the like, I'm a friend. I totally don't have a two-card uh, two combo in my hand. It's fine. That That's, that's a cool two-drop you just played. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, it's not exactly difficult for me to act like that at the table because no. I'm playing Magic. I'm genuinely excited to be there. Yeah, just very excited. <laughs> and you're a very extroverted person, too. So you're just like, you're excited, you're happy, and you're just, you'll fucking talk to anybody, too. It doesn't matter the situation. Yep. Uh, so I think that's that's funny is just like, but the end goal, I think we can agree both of both of our ideas of it are to prevent accurate information from being picked up by your opponent mm-hmm. or to have your opponent determine or derive inaccurate information, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are behaving in a way to make your opponent believe that you have counterspell in your hand, you're bluffing, right? If you don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's as simple as how you play your lands, how you tap them. And I think another thing to do with bluffing is when something goes on the stack and say you're playing a reactive deck with like a bunch of, you know, removal spells or counter magic. Uh, Say you're playing like a blue red Murktide type deal and your opponent just casts something and you don't have counter magic in hand, but they think you might have spell pierce. Go to tap a blue and be like, no, 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 it's fine. It resolves. I've done that a few times. I've seen a lot of players do that. And the opponent's just like, just sweating the entire time. And, you know, just being like, what was this right to play this? Do I, did I have to play the other thing first? You know, it's just, it's a subtle way of just fucking with your opponent without being like rude or a dick about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think, I think that a lot of this subjective above the table kind of play in magic is pretty liable to be turned into a discussion on angle shooting, you know? Yes. What's gameplay? What's angle shooting? What's cheating? In my mind, there's realistically no bluff that you can do that doesn't violate the rules of the game, hiding things that are in public zones, things like that, that I would consider to be cheating. Cheating's pretty well defined in yeah. like the Magic Tournament rules and the IPG. That is a very clear, defined definition. How cheating is defined on Magic Twitter is a different thing. That is yeah. that is a definition that I have no desire to wrestle with. I have seen the classic LSV pen trick described as cheating in those circles. So Would you like to elaborate on that? <laughs> no. Um, so the, <laughs> the LSV pen trick is when his opponent makes an attack and he goes, reaches over, picks up his pen, clicks it, and looks like he's going to write something down. His opponent then casts a cast a pump spell or does something or commits more to the board and then he goes okay settle the wreckage you i love stuff like that i love picking up those little percentage points where you're like you pick up your pen so that your opponent thinks that there's nothing else going on and you're just getting ready to take the damage mm-hmm. and then they take a game action and give you priority again boom and i don't understand how people think that's cheating they're not people they're twitter users exactly they're just little monsters but uh, that's a whole nother conversation twitter's on fire but um like there, there's a lot of and you know going into the angle shooting thing where you know people's like oh you're gonna write that down like you're clearly cheating it's like no i went to do something you did something else and then i did an actual game action within the rules of magic that is not cheating you're not doing anything 
And with angle shooting, I see a lot of people who are just like, all right, I'm going to go to attacks. And your opponent just goes block. And it's like, no, I have triggers. Like, no, you missed the triggers. Like I went to blocks. I'm like, no, that is, I think <laughs> that sort of stuff is very much should be considered angle shooting. I, I, I hate that stuff. It annoys me to no end. <laughs> I think that sort of stuff is, is, is very much uh, undesirable. I think that sort of stuff makes the game uh, worse. I do not think bluffing and trying to get your opponent to put you on a card that you don't have is realistically ever going to be angle shooting. No, because you you're still taking game actions within the rules of the game. You're still going through phases. You know, it's you're you're not there's difference. There's differences between bluffing and angle shooting where angle shooting, you're skipping steps or just saying your opponent did something Mm -hmm. when they didn't. You're you're going outside the rules of the game where whereas bluffing goes, it's just it's it's like in poker. Bluffing isn't considered cheating in poker. You're you're lying to your opponent, but that's all part of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, I would probably describe bluffing as if I had to kind of distill this conversation down into a definition, I'd probably say bluffing is within the rules of the game, misleading your opponent into believing that you are going to do something that you do not intend to do. Okay? Like I think that 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 might be that might be a little on the general side. But I mean that, I think that's 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 a good thing that it's on the, you know, just on the general side of de- describing it mainly cuz yeah, if it's not, you know, spelled out for a lot of people, it's like, "Oh, it's angle shooting, it's cheating, it's it doesn't need to be in this game." It's like, well, it's a part of the game. When mm-hmm. I was learning how to play Magic long, long time ago, everyone was telling me, he's like, oh, sometimes you got to bluff. You got to make your opponent think that you got something when you don't or else you won't get out of this alive like type thing. And sometimes you have to kind of put it out there that it's like, no, I might have an endurance if you attack with your Dragon Raids channeler. You don't know, but it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now, we've kind of defined out what we think bluffing is there. Uh, angle shooting however i think is still within the rules of the game you are taking actions that are intended to cause confusion or that violate the spirit of the game in some way right i think you got the hit the nail on the head right there like you are not bluffing if you are trying to confuse your opponent into missing their beginning of combat step yeah, and I also think with angle shooting, it's it's like right on the line of just outright cheating. Yes, because if you're angle shooting, you're trying to mislead your opponent about the nature of the game. If you're bluffing, you're trying to mislead your opponent on the nature of your hand or yeah. your game plan or some piece of hidden information. You are not breaking that trust that both players have when they come to a table that they are both going to try to play Magic the Gathering better than each other. Yeah, bluffing your hiding information that both players know is there. Like, you know your opponent has these cards in their deck. You know there's a chance that they're in their hand. And your opponent is supposed to play like they're in there. That's they, They're playing to win the game. Where angle shooting, you're misleading somebody about actual game actions. That's mm-hmm. not hiding information. That's not bluffing. That's not trying your best to win the game. It's you just winning the game by nefarious means. Like you, yeah. it's just, it's, it's cheating without calling it cheating. Yes. Like, and, and cheating has like a very specific definition in the IPG. Mm-hmm. We're not going to really go over any of that. That's mm-hmm. a different, that's a, that's a different segment, right? Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but I think it's good to kind of go forward with those definitions. So I already told you about my pen bluff. I actually am really curious about one of your favorite bluffs. It can be like a a specific one, a specific example, or just like a type of bluff that you like a lot. Acting like I'm excited when I just top deck the wall of roots. (laughs) That usually gets people where I'm just like, hmm, not bad. And it's like a fucking forest or something. Like, you know, I, that's, that's something which is like, oh, like, oh, it's not, this person isn't bluffing or doesn't have a really good poker face. I'm like, you have no idea. And some people are just like, whatever, this guy's full of shit. And other people are just like, what's, what's this guy doing? What's, what's his problem? <laughs> Whenever I bobble my opponent, I always say, well, how the hell am I supposed to beat that? 
regardless yep. of what the card is. <laughs> regardless of what it is. Yes. Basic land off the top. I'm like, well, how the hell am I supposed to beat that? That's one thing I do. And um, just the uh, the tapping lands and then untapping them. It's like, mm, no, I'm going to hold off on that. Like so- something like that. Because, you know, sometimes when I do that, I'm just like, oh, I'll cast this. And then somebody in the back of my head is like, don't fucking do that. That's a really bad play. And I'm like, okay, I probably shouldn't do that. But other times I'm just like, uh, no, I may have spell pierce, but I don't. <laughs> But are uh, you any uh, go- other go-to ones? You're going to be real mad at me. Because you've probably done it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Chalice checking people so much. <laughs> oh, God, stop. Oh, my God. I love the Chalice check because it's you just yep. you just cast it with confidence. And people will, will miss it. And that's one of those things where you're not trying to you're not trying to 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 mislead them about the nature of the game. That is just a that is another trigger that they can miss. So you just you just cast your spells, and mm-hmm. it, you know sometimes you get to, I I've gotten I was super dead playing check pile in Legacy, and just got to crack a fetch shuffle fatal push. Their thought not seer. They said it was okay. I drew a card, and then like uh, their chalice on one was just staring at me, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> ponder. And they were like, oh, that's gonna get ca- countered by chalice. And I was like, okie dokie. <laughs> and you know that that's a that's a actually a prime example with chalice of the void is if you're casting one drop spells into your opponent's chalice, good bluff. They have to. That's a good bluff. If you're casting one drops into your own chalice, that could be viewed as angle shooting or even cheating. It, it is unambiguously cheating. Yes, you're getting around something that you have to keep track of and actively trying to cheat, yep. you know, the rules of the game. But if your opponent is a chalice and you're, you're casting a bunch of one drops and your opponent's like, fine, fine, fine. That's fine. It's like you said, it's triggers they have to remember. And Anthony is the only fucking person. I miss my chalice triggers against, and I hate it because he was playing mono red prowess, and I was playing Eldrazi Tron at the time, and he cast five fucking one drops, and I had a chalice on one. He passes the turn, and I draw my draw my card. And I'm like, I'm gonna concede. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I love stuff like that. I think that there's like there's a gap. There's a pretty big delta between casual players and competitive players where I feel like a lot of casual mm-hmm. players would feel like that violates the spirit of the game. And I think that in casual magic, that sort of play does violate the spirit of the game, right? Mm-hmm. The same way that if you are playing pickup basketball and you set a really hard screen on somebody, you're you're violating the spirit of the game. But if you're playing, I don't even want to say NBA basketball. I want to even say if you're playing like rec league basketball and you set mm-hmm. a hard screen, that's a that's a good thing. If I'm playing pickup basketball, somebody just like lays me out with a hard screen, I'm going to be pretty annoyed at them. Listen, dude, we are here on asphalt. Don't do that. That's scummy. But if we're playing mm-hmm. a rec league game, 100%. Because the spirit of the game is different in that, right? The spirit of the game is mm-hmm. trying to use whatever you can to win. The fun is the trying to win versus in like a little pickup game or casual magic. You're playing to have fun. Yeah, the experience of it. And casual magic is just, you know, oh, hey, I missed this. It's like, oh, it's fine. We're just playing for fun. It's okay. But the moment there's stakes involved, there's, you know, especially in competitive magic, money's involved yeah. you paid an entry fee and have a chance to win a prize then yeah there are rules you need to follow mm-hmm. and that need to be enforced we just talked about having judges at events like mm-hmm. this if you're at an event that needs a judge and is competitive and there are prizes and actual stakes on the line yeah remember your triggers play tight hold your opponent to the standards if if there's a weird board state or you know an interesting stack happening and you and your opponent need to figure it out call a judge and get a ruling mm-hmm. It's not casual magic where it's just like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll figure it out later. It's like, no, I I came here to win for actual reasons. You know, I want to qualify. I want to, you know, get a cash prize, you know, things like that. I want to win based on my ability to execute my game better than you can execute your game. And triggers are part of that. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have competitive matches of magic determined by somebody missing something, missing a trigger on one of their cards. That's great. Mm-hmm. If I miss a bobble trigger and I 
don't get my card because of it. That's that's cool. That's somewhere my opponent got some percentage points on me by paying more attention and remembering their stuff better. If we're playing casually, I don't want the game to be about that, you know? And I feel like a lot of casual players feel mm -hmm. that way. And when you put them all together into one big soup, somebody will say that that is angle shooting. Somebody will say that that is cheating. Somebody will say that that's a good play. Somebody will say like, that's what the game should be about. Everyone's kind of coming to that with different definitions for what everything is. So mm -hmm. chalice checking for me is a good one. The pump fake on the spell pierce for you. Oh yeah. Cause you and I talk about it all the time with spell pierce in a format. People play oh, worse. They play so bad. <laughs> play so bad. Yeah. I think something worth noting actually is we mentioned okay. earlier is playing one level above your opponent, right? Level zero being, I know how the game functions. I know the rules of the game. I'm going to play the cards. And level one being, I have a plan and I'm going to execute my mm -hmm. plan. And then level two being, I have a plan. I'm going to execute my plan. I understand my opponent has a plan. I want to execute my plan while disrupting theirs, right? Mm -hmm. If you are playing on level two, Let's say you know your plan, you're playing to it, and you know your opponent has a plan, and you're thinking about how to disrupt their plan, and they're playing at level zero, they're just playing the cards that are in their hand, bluffing is mm -hmm. not going to do shit against them. It's going to do nothing. And I actually have a prime example of, of that, actually. It was at FNM one time, and there's a newer player just playing at level zero, like you said. I know how my deck works, and I know how to play mm -hmm. magic. That's about it. He was playing creativity. Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where it's just it, it was a learning experience for him and we talked about it after where he sees i have an active yogmoth on the battlefield he knows about it i've had it for a couple turns he cracks a fetch gets a dwarven mime taps four mana plays creativity i go sack young wolf kill your dwarf and he goes oh no and then i cord for blood artist and kill him the next turn he's just like oh i'm like this is a learning experience <laughs> yes. You need to understand I have a game plan as well, and you have to play around it or disrupt it in order to do yours. Now, <laughs> imagine that same situation. You don't have enough to be able to go off, even if you have the cord for mm. Yogmoth, right? But you are representing cord for Yogmoth, and you've got some, if you've got like one or two derpy creatures floating around. If mm. I'm playing creativity at level zero, I'm not thinking about cord of calling. I'm just mm -hmm. going to do my thing and then I'll get blown out if you have some card that puts a Yawgmoth into play at instant speed. And I do it and you have the Cord of Calling, you cord for Yawgmoth, you kill their thing in response and you don't get creativity, right? Let's mm -hmm. say you don't have the Cord of Calling. If your opponent's playing at level zero, you're not getting any value out of pretending you have a Cord of Calling and leaving up your Cord of Calling mana. They mm -hmm. are not thinking about Cord of Calling. It's not on their brain. They might not even know that the card exists. You don't get anything out of representing that you have Court of Calling. They're not going to play around a card that they mm -hmm. are not thinking of. So I think that's a good example of when you just like don't bluff. You don't bluff if your opponent is unaware of what you are doing. All the pump fakes with a basic island in the world are not going to make your opponent know that Spell Pierce exists as a card. Mm -hmm. All the quick like little glances over to my graveyard, not going to do anything if my opponent doesn't know that Snapcaster Mage is a card. Exactly. Yeah. Or just check checking if, you know, looking at your graveyard to see if you have Delirium, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you're, if your opponent is just at level zero, just doesn't really know, it's just, just play the game with them. You, you're you're going to come out of that on top because, you know... You're on, you know, the second level of just, I know my game plan. I know their game plan. I'm going to do mine as well as disrupt theirs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the best way to play magic in general is just, this is my plan A, but I have to disrupt my opponent in order to just do my plan A. And, you know, it's, it's learning experience for a lot of magic players, like new mm -hmm. intermediate and, you know, even, you know, the veterans, because, you know, it's those aha moments where just I've seen a lot of people play Murktide and I've gotten them so bad with Endurance. They just go to attack with their Dragon Rage Channeler. They're like, hit you for three. I'm like, well, before blocks, no, flash no, in no. Endurance, <laughs> target you. And they're just like, oh, I have a 1-1 one, one now. <laughs> and, you know, there's not much you can do about that with DRC having to attack, but it's just something... You know, attacking with the Ragavan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. You know, it format knowledge helps a lot there. 
but just, you know, getting games in and, you know, getting reps in and, and learning, you know, what to do and how to play, I think is the best thing. And, you know, bluffing comes with that. And also knowing, you know, when is a situation for your opponent to bluff? When, when do you think that they're going to be bluffing? Like you said, with the court of calling, you know, it's like, all right, they're representing cord. What can they get? What will they get? What should they get? You know, asking questions is like, cause it's with cards like, oh, you get something X or less where it's like, oh, cord for four. Like they could get Yawgmoth or they can get Grist or they can just get a Stranglerout Geist or a Blood Artist. Like it doesn't matter. They can just kind of bluff in that sense. We're like, oh, they're definitely getting Yogg and then change your mind, get an Endurance. And you know, it's like, oh, wait, what's happening? Uh, I think another good example of when not to bluff is when your opponent cannot play around it. Yes. Because you don't play around cards you can't beat. So if your opponent is at three life and hellbent, mm-hmm. don't ever bluff that you have the bolt. Like if you don't have the bolt, don't take game actions to pretend that you have the bolt. Because if you had it, you would have killed them. Yeah, yeah. Don't bluff <laughs> cards that your mm-hmm. opponent can't beat. Because they can't play around them, right? I have to pretend if I'm at mm-hmm. three and I don't have any stack interaction in my deck, I don't have any life gain in my deck, I just have to kill you before you find a bolt. I have to pretend that you're never going mm-hmm. to draw a bolt. I have to formulate my game plan based on the idea that you never draw another bolt for the rest of the game, because as soon as you do, I am dead. So there's no there's no advantage to bluffing that you have that, because if you had it, I'm dead. Yeah, I mean, it's situations like that where bluffing is bad or you shouldn't bluff. Like, that's a situation like I got no cards in hand. If you got it, you got it. There's no reason for you to be like, oh, do I do it? Like you're wasting everybody's time. Yeah. I think that another good time you don't want to bluff in addition to when your opponent can't play around it or your opponent won't play around it is if the cost for bluffing is too high. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to oversimplify what i mean by this i mean mm-hmm. i attack my 2-2 two, two into your 4-4 four, four. like if i don't I, I might be bluffing that i've got a trick to kind of kill your guy but if i don't have it combat trick or removal spell yeah. if you just call me on that all that's happening is i'm losing the 2-2 two, two, right so like mm-hmm. the cost on that is so so high and the upside on that is two damage that's a good example of it's probably not a good idea to bluff that because your play your actual gameplay is significantly worse for making that bluff and your upside's mm-hmm. not great. Um, that's also a, actually a really good example of don't bluff when your opponent can't play around it. If you attack with this two two and they're at two life and they've got a four four, that's a terrible bluff because what are they going to mm-hmm. do? They're going to block or they're dead. They can't play around the giant growth there. If you have it, then they still just will they'll lose their creature but survive. That's a situation they can't play around mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and there's there's situations like that where it's just like you have one creature, they have one creature, they're at two, they have a four four, you have a two two, and you're like attack. Maybe they won't block. It's like no, they have to or they lose. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to give you the game. So we talked about some of our favorite bluffs, uh, things you can do uh, when you shouldn't bluff. It's a very important one when you shouldn't. <laughs> really think about that <laughs> yeah and the differences between bluffing and angle shooting and cheating and stuff like that which i think is it's an important distinction to make because it, it can cause some misunderstandings some hurt feelings and mm-hmm. we don't want to do that and we want to know we're all on the same page and it's a good conversation to have as well to like define what those three things are because like you said it, it'll you can just get lost in the sauce of like magic twitter of just multiple different people with multiple different takes yeah it's just a big terrible soup yeah, which is just ugh, gross. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to finish things off with uh, a special version of Future Sight. Uh, we're going to be negative today. So it's Future Blight. And Anthony and I are going to talk about <laughs> cards that we think shouldn't see that much play. Now, so- somewhat might not be as like, be like, oh, this is terrible. Just throw it in the blender, never play it in a sideboard or a main deck no. again. And, you know, someone would be like, look, I don't know why people play this. I understand it, but eh, it's kind of a waste. This is just so overplayed for whatever format we're talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and if if you'd like, I'll, I'll go first uh, with my pick. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um. Not, no surprise to anybody. I'll be talking about modern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. 
Uh, it's specifically a sideboard card. It's blue and it's legendary. And it's a sideboard card that has been showing up uh, in a, bu- a bunch of different decks, but for the same exact reason. And to combat a certain deck and a certain card. Is the card you're talking about Orvar the All Form to combat creativity? It is. And oh my god, it's in every fucking sideboard now. Why? I think that card, I think you're right. I think that card's drastically overplayed. I think that card should, it's so much worse than like an invasive surgery on yeah. the creativity, right? Uh, if you have access to blue, just play your one mana counter spells that surgical extract the effect that puts it into play. Yeah. It's so much better. Um, but I think that Orvar still probably should see some sideboard play against mm-hmm. those Archon creativity decks, specifically because it's really good if you don't have access to blue mana at just interacting with that directly. And it's even better if you're playing like goblins or something because Orvar is a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. So you can matron it. Oh, you can matron it. You can vile that bitch in. Like it's just a three three gabo that you can go to the beat town with. <laughs> oh, I think I th- I yeah. I imagine that you can just like if your opponent's low enough on life, you can be like, all right, I'm gonna vile this in and hit you. Honorary goblin. <laughs> you just kind of want that sucker in your hand. But I agree. I think that card is wildly overplayed. I see a bunch of blue decks putting it in their sideboard. And I'm just like, this card does not do what you want it to do. I saw Burn playing it. And I'm like, why? You can just get your... I think it's probably a good choice for Burn. Really? Yeah. Eh. They can't really beat uh, They can't really beat an Archon. That's fair. I mean, I, like it's better than just having the, the game plan of, you know, get them dead real quick. But I, like, I still just think... If if you're if you're going to an event and you suspect a ton of creativity, like there has been metas like that where there was one point where creativity was probably the most played deck in the modern metagame. And yeah, understandable. But if you're just going to an event and be like, oh, I'll just put a one or two of Orvar, maybe I'll see creativity. It's 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 just gonna be tough for you if like that's yeah. in your sideboard. It's just an uncastable card in most decks, and you know, if you're not playing against you, you know, Archons, uh, or not even just creativity. It's just like decks who have Archon um, in their in their seventy five. Like, it's it's just tough. And you know, if you're if you're a blue deck, don't play something better. D- put Flusterstorm in your deck. Like, I mean, just come on, good, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Orvar. I think Orvar and Burn is really nice because they're realistically not going to be able to creativity you for three. Because you're yeah, not going to give them yeah. that much time, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be able to, if they creativity for one, they'll gain a life, draw a card, or gain three life, draw a card. Then they'll lose three life, discard a card, and then they'll sacrifice their Archon. Mm-hmm. Um, if they creativity you for two, you discard one random card, and then you discard the second card, and you get your Orvar trigger. Mm-hmm. That one of their Archons gets sacrificed, and then you attack and sa- make them sacrifice their second Archon. So you can... <laughs> With one Orvar, get two Archons that way. As long Gross. as you make sure the last card yeah. you discard is the Orvar. But mm-hmm. I think if you have access to blue, you shouldn't be playing it. I think if you have access to blue, you have better options that you can mm-hmm. just like cast. And Orvar, I don't like putting cards that I never want to cast into my deck. I don't oh, love yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Especially like for Burn, I get it now. Like, cause it's just, it's so backbreaking when your Archon opponent just goes like, oh no, like the Burn deck turned into me type mm-hmm. thing. And I think that's, that's very important, especially, and there's not many, Burn sideboard is so streamlined. You can take out a few pieces to make room for a one or a two of Orvar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if I saw that in a Burn sideboard list. I'd be like, oh, that sucks that you have to play around that. But also, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. I have got a card for Pioneer. Okay. And I think people are a little blinded by how good this card has been in other formats and are playing it in Pioneer at a rate that I do not think is appropriate for that card's format relative power level. Okay. Is it a main deck or a sideboard card? The main deckiest of main deck cards. Um... Can you tell me the color of it? It's not black. Huh. And is it is it is it played in a like a meta deck, something that's like heavily played? It's it's not in mono green or okay. red black or grease fang. Is it in Phoenix? No, no. 
I will also tell you that it is a creature. Okay. Is it a mono white? Uh, no, it is a gold card. Oh, it's a gold card. It's not in Phoenix. Not in red, black, not in green, not in Grease Fang. Oh, it's a gold card? It draws a card when it enters the battlefield. Is it a Drake? Oh, no. But people should okay. also not play that card. It's very <laughs> bad. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this kind of ends up in the four to five color piles an awful lot. Like Niv-Mizzet type? Yeah, Niv-Mizzet. Okay. Or sometimes it'll end up in your uh, incarnation decks. Okay. Is it Celesnia? Yes, and. Yes, and. So it's a three color card? No. So it's two. Celesnia and? Yeah. So it's more than Celesnia colors. It is uh, not three colors. Does it have hybrid mana? Nope. Just one of each. What the fuck fucking card did you pick today? <laughs> oh my god. You're going to be upset. You're going to be oh. upset when you, when, you, when you get it. Oh my god. But it is it is not a it is not a two color card, it is not a three color card, and it is not a five color card. So four? That's right, yeah. What the fuck? Um oh boy. Uh so is it um is the mana cost four or five? The mana value is four. Okay. Yeah, it costs a green, a white, a red, and a blue. Motherfucker, is this Omnath? It is Omnath. <laughs> okay okay i a hundred percent agree with you in pioneer that card is not good in pioneer yeah because you don't have fetch lands you don't have fetch lands you're just paying four mana for a four four that draws a card and gains you life uh, gains you four life whenever you play land drop which is like fine but that's not where that is fine but what makes omnath so broken is when you play it and then you play a fetch land crack fetch land and ramp and then play another thing like and then yeah, if like you can keep fury. going yeah yeah exactly you know oh my god that card what makes that card so good is that on five if you have a fetch land to follow up it gives you back five mana and a card and four life it's that looks like a time walk a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a card, you've got five mana, just like you would have had on turn five. You just take your turn mm-hmm. five again. Yeah. And Fabled Passage is not a fetch land. Stop trying to make it work with Omnath and Pioneer. It is technically legal in Pioneer, but it's not good. <laughs> yeah. it's. I just don't think Fabled Passage is enough to do no. what you want it to do. And I don't think any of the other fetch lands are at a I don't think Pioneer is in a place where it's hospitable to people trying to do that kind of value stuff anyway. And you don't have the same degree of five drops you can cast with that Omnath mana, even when you do. Like you're not like when you're doing Omnath mana in modern, you can just like play your Omnath, play a fetch land, crack the fetch land, cast, uh, get a red source, cast a fury or get a white source, cast a solitude. Like that's awesome. What five yeah. drops are you casting in Pioneer? Like maybe Yorion is a good thing to do. I mean, if it's a control shell, you might Teferi or like, you know, any kind of planeswalker. Or like I've seen some uh, deck list with Omnath where it's uh, like just straight up elementals where they're playing like the three color Omnath from M20 and just like all the other Cavaliers and type stuff. But that deck really isn't great. And mm-hmm. most of the time on turn four, you slam Omnath, you get a four, four, you draw a card and your red, black opponent dread bores it, or they play Liliana and sacks it, which is just, it's such a bad time for you. <laughs> it, I mean, you still got a two for one out of the deal, but like, this isn't 2013, right? Like a two for one. No, <laughs> not something that a person that's not me should get excited about. Like I get excited <laughs> about two for ones because I'm, a I love two for ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. The classic Grixis two for one. I was casting Siege Rhino in Modern. Like, I love Abzan and Jund and, you know, even Grixis too. But mm-hmm. I feel like you have a stranglehold on that that color combination. <laughs> Yo, I'm so ready. I'm putting together Elemental Incarnation for, uh, for Pioneer. And I'm so excited to not play any copies of Omnath, Locus of Creation in that list. Yeah, which is... Totally fair. Like, just stop playing Omnath and Pioneer. <laughs> in modern, that fucker's annoying. But Pioneer, eh. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so you got any uh, uh, fun magic plans this weekend? I know you're going to NRG on Saturday, right? Yeah, I'm hitting up uh, Nerd Rage Louisville this coming Saturday. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be about a week old by the time this episode releases. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Nerd Rage this Saturday. I know you've at the very least got an RCQ coming up. Not this weekend, but next, right? Next weekend, um, Jordan and I are going to hit it up. Um, I'm honestly leaning towards playing Merktide at that event. I think it's well positioned at the moment. And, you know, as much as it pains me, I don't think Yogmoth's well positioned right now. There's too many freaking Dothy Voidwalkers running around. Red Black Scam and Red Black Midrange are going to be at pretty much every event. And mm-hmm. I, I just have a tough, tough time beating those with Yawgmoth. Yeah. Um, as of today, Mason Clark actually just put out a an article on Yawgmoth, mm-hmm. I believe. So Yawgmoth is going to have a pretty big target on his back this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, Yawgmoth already had a, a decent sized tar- target on his back, even if it was like incidental. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just all the graveyard hate um, is tough with, with with that. Not all of it is just like backbreaking. You can get around endurance, but it's it's mainly just like the, the scam lists or just the mid range lists or just like even like Jun Saga. Just Dothy Voidwalker has been played a lot in the past modern events I've played. And it's that that deck or that that card just just shits on Yawgmoth so hard. Mm-hmm. Like it is yeah. just the hardest card to beat. Yeah, because like that deck doesn't play a lot of like proper removal. No, you have to Grist uh or Yogmoth to like actually remove it. You can't remove it in, in combat. Like like it it can't block, it's unblockable, and it's just it, it run it runs away with the game too. And you know, I, I really love playing Yogmoth. I have a ton of reps with the deck. I, I feel the most comfortable with it. But I've played Merktide uh, a bit. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna like really get get grinding with it the next you know week or so, and it just seems good. And you know, it might shock you, but I I honestly I honestly have come around on Ledger Shredder. I kind of like the Shreddy boy. <laughs> I think the format's a little slower. Yeah, a little more mm-hmm. grindy now. So I mm-hmm. think as the format like waxes and wanes in speed, Ledger Shredder's stock goes up and down. Mm-hmm. and it, it blocks super well in this meta you know it's a little slower and it, mm-hmm. get, it can get real big i think uh we're you and i are playing a bunch of modern next coming weeks and you know hopefully jordan and i or one of us or both of us maybe can qualify but either way still planning on having a fun time at rc in san diego regardless so oh yeah ready getting ready we're booking the apartment for that one soon we're getting something Hell yeah. Fingers crossed pretty close to the pretty close awesome. to the venue so I don't have to rent a car. But yeah, and uh I'll I'm I'm going to Florida for the holidays this year, going to Florida for Christmas, which will be nice. I get to I get to be a snowbird, so it's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off from Lexington, I'm Kyle. I'm Anthony. And until next week, do us a favor. Stay trashy, my friends.